Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learnt to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! Lucine Mahrabi. So she's an international speaker, trainer, and advisor focusing on emotional intelligence and negotiations. She works with CEOs and key decision makers all over the world, helping them to reach their full potential and achieve peak performance for themselves. Having started her career in the finance sector on the busy trading floors of investment banks, Lucine became passionate about negotiations and joined a 12-month masterclass in complex negotiations led by world-leading negotiators. Today, she's a speaker and the head of Middle East for ADN Group, an international negotiation agency. And it seems to me that Lucene can do absolutely anything and pretty much everything. And I think that her high level of responsibility, both in work and home life, as well as maintaining what must be an incredibly busy diary further communicates Lucene's own emotional intelligence, which we're going to unpack today. Where does the podcast find you today, Lucene? Well, I'm based in Dubai now. Uh, I'm on the other side of the world from where you are. It's early morning for me, afternoon for you, right? So yeah, Dubai, UAE. Whereabouts in uh, Dubai do you live, roughly speaking? Do you know Dubai? I used to live there. Really? Yeah, I was living in the ranches. Yeah, I live in the ranches. I mean, oh, my kids! My kids went to Jess. They did, yeah. That's very nearby. My, my yeah, yeah. The Swiss school. In fact, I wrote my first book in uh, in Costas. Amazing! Yeah. That's True really story. Right. True story. You can pick that up at Demix thirty nine ninety five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Lucine, you are amazing, and maybe you could just tell us a little bit. And I know you're going to be humble about this, but maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your about your background, and and then we can talk about emotional intelligence. Yeah, sure. So indeed, as you said, I started my career in finance. I've been working in finance for 15 years on the stock exchange, investment banks. I was on the trading floors, and I was very lucky to work for a company who invested a lot in leadership training. We got this training in a masterclass in complex negotiation by uh, indeed the world's best negotiators. And I was so fascinated by what they taught us. And um, I remember one moment looking at one of those guys thinking, I want to do what you do. Yeah. So long story short, a few years later, I joined them uh, and I'm providing their masterclasses here in the Middle East. 
and I added my own touch of emotional intelligence and everything that has to do with human behavior. Yeah, that's amazing. Lucene, um, you mentioned that um, you were previously in the finance sector. And I know that you've spoken about this before, but can you tell me why you would not stay in the finance sector? Maybe tell us a little bit about why you got out of that? Yeah, well, let me tell you how I got into it. It was pure coincidence. I was living in the Netherlands. I had to pay for my uh, university. So I just just looking for any job. And then I found uh, one in an investment bank. It was actually quite a serious job for a young student because it was 24 hours a week uh, doing transactions. And with that expertise, when I went to Paris for an exchange program, um, I loved it so much that I wanted to stay there. And the easiest internship to find there was again in finance. So that was the second coincidence. Stayed there for a while. I know it wasn't my thing, but I liked it. I was successful. Everything was going fine. You know how it goes when you get the title and the salary and the bonus and everything seems yeah. fine. You, you tend to not listen to that voice that's telling you, you don't belong here, you don't belong. Yeah. So that was the second time. And then I did have the courage finally to say, okay, I'm leaving in the middle of the subprime crisis. I don't know if you remember, 2008-9 with mm. all those Black Mondays. I was in the middle of the trading floor. Um, so then I left. I did a master's in journalism. And then they reached out again saying, Luis, we need you on the trading floor. Uh, so I went back again for <laughs> a few years. And then that voice saying, you don't belong here, became too, too loud. And I said, okay, now it's time to move on. I think success is, at the one hand, of course, very good, and we're all chasing it, but it can also prevent you from doing what you really love, prevent you from going in the sector that, that you're really attracted to. But lately, we see more and more people who go like, have a very successful job in finance or a lawyer or whatever, and then they quit their jobs and they do what they're really passionate about and they become, I don't know, they open like a bakery or something. I yeah, have yeah. so much respect for those people. We've got a, a colleague that works with us. His name's Gage and uh, he's, he's one of the most uh, in tune and you know, one of the smartest people I've, I've ever had the pleasure to, to listen to. And he talks about getting into accidental careers and how to avoid getting into accidental careers. And it feels like that that's you know, something that you got involved in was an accidental career. Absolutely, yeah. I never heard that word, but it's exactly that. And I think a lot of people are in accidental careers. Yeah. Amazing accidental career to fall into, though. <laughs> like a high-performing, big-paying, you know, job like that. I have a lot of friends who work in the DFC in Dubai, and, and one of them, uh, a, a British guy, you know, he was all but burnt out by the time that he'd finished in the UAE. And I, I wonder how... How prevalent is that in those sort of those sort of um, those sort of roles, those sort of jog that burnout of just being, especially when you're in a role where maybe it's not authentic to who you who you are or who your values are. Mm. I've seen many 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 people go in burnout, in depression, in suicide. Even it's not an easy easy task, you know. It's it's ten twelve hours a day. You're behind. I mean, I was behind like seven screens, three phones. Uh, you barely know who your neighbor is. Um, but then there are people, you know, who dream of that, who've seen some movies about trading floors and then think, oh, this is my dream career. And yeah. they do, you know, they do it 20, 30, 40 years and that's fine. Yeah. It's just, I think, being true to yourself of saying, who am I? What do I want? Yeah. Okay. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about emotional intelligence. 
Because I'm all about weaponizing emotional intelligence. I want people to use it as their first line of defense. I think that that's a, a different way of looking at it. What is emotional intelligence? Well, emotional intelligence is this entire set of skills. I call it human skills. I don't like the word soft skills. Human skills that allow us to know ourselves better, express ourselves, and then make that link to other people. How do we express uh, and behave towards other people? The whole empathy part, how do we connect to other people? How do we build rapport? How do we build trust? Um, and then the whole aspect of how do we stand in life, meaning agility, flexibility, optimism, all those skills that we all have, then combined together become emotional intelligence. So everything that you can't solve with intellectual intelligence, that's what emotional intelligence is. Do you have a, a model for understanding emotional intelligence so that you know the listeners out there can, can work out how it, how it fits together and how they could potentially use it in their workplace? Yes, absolutely. So I became a certified practitioner of emotional intelligence because when I start learning about something, I want to go all in and learn everything I can. So I learned about the history of emotional intelligence, who came up with this, when was it first studied, uh, scientific proof, etc. And it was actually, uh, it, it's an old concept. People think that it's, you know, from the last five or ten years, but it's not actually. It was Reuven Bar-On, who in 1982 started wondering how come people with the same IQ don't have the same level of success in life and the same level of happiness. Um, and he started researching all that. And then it was thanks to Daniel Goleman that it became a bit bigger when he, he wrote his book, Emotional Intelligence, How It Can Matter More Than IQ. Mm. That was in 95. And then lately companies have started picking up on this of, of, of realizing you can get the smartest person of a university or a business school, but that doesn't mean that they're gonna be smart enough with their colleagues, with themselves, with facing challenges and adapting to change in this ever-changing world. So Reuven Baron then went on and created this model called EQY, in, um, I believe it was somewhere in 1997, and then that has been updated, updated, and today that is the most used model in the world, so EQY it's called, um, and then they added version two, etc. So EQI 2.0 is now the one that is one of the most used models in the emotional intelligence world when they want to actually measure someone's emotional intelligence, use it in leadership at work or in another way, uh, work uh, environment. Yeah, brilliant. And with with emotional intelligence, we, we quite often say, Trent and I, how companies hire for IQ and then they end up seeing people leave out the door because of a lack of eq yeah and and I, I just wonder how many businesses these days and i wonder if you have any evidence or have any have any idea who tests and how do you test for emotional intelligence can you even test for it absolutely you can test for it and 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 this model exists so you go to a practitioner you say i want to test my emotional intelligence they send you a link you answer all types of questions and takes about 20, 25 minutes, and then boom, a report comes out of about huh. 25 to 26 pages full of all aspects of emotional intelligence. So the model that I use has five categories, and within those five categories, you have each three categories. So then you have a large scope of 15 elements that define your emotional intelligence. So then it's very easy for you to see, okay, on this point, I'm stronger than on that point, and then how can I use my strengths to then boost my 
weaknesses in the world of emotional intelligence. So we're talking about mm. self-perception, self-expression, uh, decision-making, stress management, all those things come into play and you can measure it and you can even then compare it to an average of leaders worldwide uh, wow. who have done the analysis as well. So this has been used millions and millions of times all yeah. over the world. So yeah, you can measure it. Wow. Trent, we need to do this. I have a theory. What, what's your theory, Bram? Go on, tell us what your theory is. I, I think a lot of people mistake empathy for sympathy. Mm. Yeah. Am I on the money there? Is that true? It is true. Yeah. And yeah. then I would even add compassion as a third one. Correct. Oh. Yeah. How do you know how do you know the difference of all that, right? And it has all everything to do with you know, empathy is super important in negotiations. And I always teach my clients, I said we need empathy because we need to build rapport and you need to be able to wanting to understand what's happening for someone else you yeah. have to be able to say okay what is important to this person what really matters so that you can go and solve the right problems right um however i tell them and we test this also with another test called adn insider where you get your own personal negotiator profile and we say okay what is your empathy level but then if it's too high, so people score very high and they're all proud, like, yeah, I'm really empathetic. I said, but be careful because on a negotiation table, if your empathy is too high, you tend to go into compassion. So it's not only understanding someone else, but feeling what they feel. Mm. If you take yep. that to an extreme, we come to the concept of the Stockholm syndrome, which you guys know from the, the special yeah. forces world, right? You start feeling empathy for someone who is hurting you. So yeah. that is the other extreme. So we want to be in empathy, but we do not want to be in compassion on a negotiation table. I tell them if you're extremely compassionate, that's wonderful. And I would like to be your friend because that type of people that we need in the world, but yeah. just be mindful on the negotiation table. You can't start defending your counterpart and forget why you are on the negotiation table. So to simplify it so that, uh, so that I can understand it. The way I see it is that empathy is walking a mile in your shoes, but the compassion aspect is taking on their problems for yourself, yeah? Yeah, exactly. You start feeling with them and you want yeah. them to win. Yeah. You just want to understand what's going on in their world, not feel everything exactly. for them. Right, got it. Can you have no empathy but still be emotionally intelligent? Yes, you can. Huh. This is, now we're talking Bram's language. Yeah, yeah, this is you, isn't it, Bram? <laughs> and I work with a lot of people who are like that. And they're psychopaths. psychopaths. Exactly. Mm. Psychopaths. Damn, we both said that at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Yeah, psychopaths, they don't feel any empathy. However, they can be extremely yeah. charming. They can be very agile. They can be very resilient. They are extremely mm. resilient psychopaths, but they don't feel any empathy. But they can right. fake that by acting as if they care and they are excellent actors so that's so probably not, more compassionate even than than just empathetic yeah but it's fake yeah right? but it's fake so surely there's a test for that <laughs> yeah well there is there is we test everything and it's also important you can in everyday life if you're if you're if you're trained for this you can spot them yeah see, yeah right you know, and um and, and the, the group that I work with, they have done a large study of people that they negotiate with and say, how can we put them in, um, well, I don't want to say boxes because as soon as you put people out of the boxes, then the exceptions come in. But mm. we did make an analysis of what are all the complex profiles that we deal with. 
and you wouldn't believe the percentage of people who have some form of complexity in their personality that is not something like a mood or something but like systematically they are yeah. psychopath narcissistic resistant to change all those things and it's above 50 percent wow of two yeah that's amazing if you count wow. all of them together yeah can you imagine trent being lucine's friend you'd be forever going how does she how does she what does she <laughs> think just, i'm like <laughs> She's giving you all this, sending you all these links for you to go and fill out some uh, some questions so we can find out who we really are. Self-reflection, is a person able to self-reflect and say to themselves, I'm not very empathetic or I don't have much EQ or are they completely oblivious to it from a self-reflection position? No, I guess it, it depends on how well they know themselves and how huh. much they have they have studied themselves. But I remember I was giving a training one day. There was a masterclass in negotiations. And at the end, there was a, a colleague of them that came in that wasn't part of the negotiation. And she had a look at those uh, personal negotiator profiles that the, their colleagues were talking about. And she just had a glimpse and she said, oh, I know my empathy is super low. I don't care about others. I don't feel anything. And she knew that about herself. Um, and then later we tested it and she was right. Her empathy was so low and her resilience was very high. So I didn't want to tell her, but that, that is a sign of potential psychopath. Wow. That's so cool. I, I've, I've heard previously or I've read previously and I'm not sure where I read it, that um, the, the tendency for senior leaders um to be psychopaths is actually higher is 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 that true and where does that come from yeah but all psychopaths aren't murderers no no, no i understand i understand there's a difference between yeah yeah there's a separation there is that a truism or is that somewhat dated now as uh, as leadership has started to change no that is still true and because it has a link with power you can be born a psychopath but you can also become a psychopath if you keep renouncing to this little voice that we were talking about in the beginning of who you are and what you do and wow. i have seen many people grow into becoming a psychopath on the trading floors for example yeah wow. so disconnected from everyday life so disconnected from your colleagues from your family you know working mm. until midnight that it, it's something that gets built in and then you grow quickly and you get the beautiful title and you become an md and then you become you know a head of and then yeah, there are many people who, be it through power, be it through money, be it through not listening to their own voice, can become a psychopath. Yeah, there was that great study, wasn't there, in America where they had the prisoners and the prison, the prison guards and they, they gave them all roles and they watched the roles create the, create the personalities of, of the person. It's very interesting. Um, so emotional intelligence and empathy. Do you have any other questions, Trent? Otherwise, I want to talk about negotiating. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that a couple of years ago, you um, you previously had a bit of a, a program that you did about uh, 33 positive changes and monthly challenges and those sorts of things. Tell me about um, how, you know, what that was about and how that went for you. Well, I was doing an executive coaching program at HEC uh, in Paris and it was the very first month. So, you know, I was discovering my, my, my colleagues and one of the guys I was we, it was in this beautiful uh, chateau in France and we were served wine and beautiful lunch and I wanted to serve wine to the guy sitting next to me and he said no no I'm not drinking in January 
<laughs> what does that mean, not drinking in January? <laughs> well, I drink so much for Christmas that I don't drink alcohol in January. And I thought that was amazing. And he said, yeah, every January I don't drink alcohol. And I said, oh, that's cool. I'm going to join you. I do something in February. He said, but not drinking is too easy for me. It has to be a challenge. So I decided I'm not going to eat sugar, which is very difficult for me. <laughs> so in the month of February, I said, okay, I'm going to do this, no sugar. And I drink like five, six, seven cups of tea per day, and I used to put sugar in it. So that was super difficult for me. But I went on and I did it, and I thought, oh, this is not that bad. It's actually doable. And then I said, I'm going to continue with this no sugar thing, because now that I'm you know, drinking it without, it should be fine. And then I decided I'm actually going to do a challenge every month. So ever since I've been doing it, and I've done like one month without gluten, or one month going to bed before midnight, I failed that one every single time. Uh, Hang on a second. One month of going to bed before midnight. Before midnight. Yeah, I failed that one. Yeah, I can't. I can't sleep before midnight. Wow. <laughs> wow. So it has, and then I invited others to join me, and then that class joined me, and then friends joined me, and now we are like this big community sending each other WhatsApps, like, what are you going to do this month? I'm in this. I'm in yeah, this. Yeah, I'm in as well. Yeah. Send, us, send us the WhatsApp. We're in. Um, but you know what? You have to uh, choose yourself, and everybody can do this. It's really life changing because one month, 30 days is long enough for it to be difficult and short enough for it to be doable with mindset yeah. alone you said a habit are you yeah are you a good runner no not really do you, do you like <laughs> running well i i would like to know how to run but she's scared now like this is not for me <laughs> what do you reckon trent 10 kilometers a day for 30 days yeah you've already done that one yeah but anyway, um, it should be a challenge for you so you choose yeah, whatever yeah. it is and it yeah. has to be something that you do or not do on a daily basis so it's not, I'm going to go run three times a week, no, yeah. every day. Yeah. Because I've, so mine, because I've got so many good habits, I'd have to eat like a pizza every day for a month or. <laughs> well, one of the rules. I'm sure there's a few bad habits hiding on. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you about. Um, so negotiating. This is, this is unbelievable. So you are this, just this powerhouse of negotiation. Talk to me. How does how does negotiating work? You you come in armed with all of the information. Do you come with a preconceived idea of the outcome that you want, and then do you try and make it so that it's a mutual benefit, or is it just what it's like in the movies where where you're just going in and negotiating? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, no. It, they're, they're, Hollywood has really ruined the image of a professional negotiator. There's this negative connotation ah. because they always show like one man. It's always a man, have you noticed? Uh, and one man show. Whereas in reality, in every professional negotiation team, it's never one person. We go in as a team, we prepare together, and we're very focused on the other party of really trying to understand what is it that they need. So not what they say they want not what they think they can obtain, but what is their need? What is their oh. absolute non-negotiable that is always linked to an emotion? So yeah. that's the, the job of a real negotiator to, 
to go through the fluff and understand what's really happening here. Right. That, that concept of going into negotiations as a team, it sort of, it goes back to one of my favorite sayings, which no one, you know, no one has a monopoly on all the good ideas. So in that negotiation, you've got this range of approaches, I'm assuming that that's, that's the rationale behind this is that, you know, uh, seeing it from different angles. Is that right? That is one of the, the reasons, exactly. Another reason is our cognitive load. With one person, you have two eyes, you can observe so many things. You have two ears, you can hear so many things. When you're two, you're already doubling that. And our cognitive load is unfortunately way lower than what people think. We are not, as human beings, able to think about too many things at the same time. That number is actually quite low. So when you add stress, that number goes even lower. When you add anything personal, it can go up to zero that people like really they don't know what's happening anymore so in order to 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 protect that cognitive load you go in with minimum two and then there are a lot of negotiation um, techniques that you need to 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 play out plus you can also have also a backup of saying you know something's not going well i need to get out of this and then the other person can continue and doesn't have to learn all over again what has yeah. been done and said so there's lines in the sand and points where you don't want to reinforce failure, for instance, and they've been predetermined. Yeah, yeah, and that's super important. A lot of people go into negotiations without having having set that line, without having yeah. their walk away. Sounds really there. similar to mission planning to me. Yeah, brilliant. There's so much, um, you know, the whole concept of being a professional negotiator has been created by the special forces. Yeah. It, was, it, it comes from that world. It was the, the Olympic Games, remember, in Munich yeah, that ended yeah. up in the bloodshed. That was a wake-up call for the world of saying, you can't improvise negotiations. You can't no. put anyone in who is a leader and say, go negotiate. No. It can literally cost lives. Yeah. It's when uh, the yeah, FBI right. came up with their own personal negotiator group. Yeah. And then the Mossad did it, and then all countries followed, and now all special forces have a negotiation team. Yeah, I've I've done some training in being able to do uh, key leader engagement with with um, you know village elders and also local mullahs and things like that. And there's a lot. It's probably different than a, well, it is different than a business negotiation, but there's a lot to be said for sitting down and and having cups of chai. And, and showing a human side of, of you and talking about your kids. And in fact, the negotiating is maybe the last 10% of what is actually occurring. The rest of it is very similar to, to what we talk about in hindsight, uh, leadership and resilience anyway. It's about creating a, a, a personal bond or a relationship with the other person so that you can get to the point where you ask a question. Absolutely. It's um, last week I was speaking to Gary Nesner. Gary was the very first chief uh, negotiator for the FBI. Yeah, I've seen him on Instagram. He's like putting all of his master classes out. Um, he's retired now, but he's yeah. done 30 years at the FBI and 23 years of that was in hostage negotiation. So the guy wow. has amazing track record. He's, he's still very humble and very kind. And I was talking to him and he has a, a, a great book where he explains everything that he has been doing and all the tough negotiations that he's been part of. And we, we agreed you can't negotiate without a relationship. What yeah. do you want to negotiate? How do you want to negotiate? 
And what he beautifully said is, you have to earn the right to influence. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is a beautiful wow. statement when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You have to earn the right to influence. I love, you know, hearing someone like that say, start with what you would say when you're leaving, you know. And so, you know, you might start the conversation with, you know, we're, we're here because um, we really want to get the most out of benefit out of this for you and us. Um, so let's start talking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And how how can, you know, help me help you, that whole aspect. But that starts with, hello, my name is Lucina. I'm here to help. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. What's your most memorable negotiating moment? You want a professional one or a personal one? Both. Yeah, maybe personal. Well, I could use some of that at the moment. Oh, 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 oh. Well, I'm going to tell you a story that is not uh, one that you would expect. But um, I remember being uh, becoming a certified professional negotiator, which is super difficult. There's like a long list of requirements. And I applied and, 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 and the jury accepted my profile and I became a certified professional negotiator. And I thought, oh, now I can negotiate with anyone and I can negotiate anything and all, all pride, yeah? But then shortly after, we um, discovered that my son, who was five years old, um, had a severe disease and they didn't know what, they just knew it was bad. Yeah. And they said scenario one, two, three, and three is like worst case scenario, extremely bad, progressive, uh, short life expectancy, no cure, like a horror, horror scenario. And I remember negotiating with God, saying, please, not this disease. Yeah. And I had horrible things that came in my mind, but I put everything on the table. I said, give him cancer, because they can now heal cancer in kids, but please, not this disease. Mm. Um, I said, give me the disease. I prayed, um, give me anything for which there is a cure. And I promise you, I will go and work for an NGO for the rest of my life. So wow. I was having this negotiation with an invisible counterpart. Yeah. And that's when I thought, how do you deal with this then? How do you negotiate with life? Um, and that is why I'm so passionate about now, because all of us, you don't have to be a negotiator to have a life where one day or another, something is gonna hit that is so difficult yeah. that you just don't know how to deal with it. So. How do you then negotiate with yourself? How do you negotiate yeah. with life? So that is what I'm passionate about. And that is why I created the podcast called Life Negotiations. Right. Because I truly believe everything in life is in one way or another a negotiation with either somebody, with yourself, or with life, with God, whoever you're talking to. Yeah. You just, you just got at least two new subscribers anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a story which I'll, I'll follow up to that. Um, and... You know, I'm probably I'm not religious, but when my dad was dying of cancer, I saw I thought, and I was, and this is deep, so the listeners, you know, I'm sorry for this, but when I was uh, by my dad's bed while he was dying, and my sister was there, and my and my mum and my my brother-in-law, and I was looking at the clock on the wall, and he was it was his last day alive, and I was like, well, I'm going to test this God theory out, <laughs> and I was like, righto, if there is a God. If my dad stops breathing and dies at 8 p.m., I'll become a priest. 
and it was like seven seven thirty five, seven forty, seven fifty. And then at seven fifty nine and fifty nine something seconds, he he died. He stopped he stopped breathing. And I remember looking around the room, panicking like oh, like they were all like, "Oh, thank God, you know he's died. You know he's it's it's time he can re- you know rest in peace." And I'm like, "No, no, no," sort of thing. And then I think about three minutes later, he took a really big breath, and and he then officially died i think you know whatever the time was later but i remember then going okay listen i believe that you're there and i also believe that you just said i don't have to become a priest (laughs) (laughs) so we've negotiated you know he's there and guess what he's let me off the hook but geez that was so confronting and i think that you're you know lucine i think you're right i think we do negotiate with ourselves and we are our harshest sort of subject in a lot of ways and I mean I beat myself up over all sorts of things you know but in the end you're also very we're very good at consoling ourselves when we defeat ourselves I think I hope yeah well thank you for sharing that story that's mm. amazing that gave me shivers yeah mm. but yes it, you know, it worried me for a time <laughs> right there and then you were negotiating with God you were negotiating with life yeah. Um, and, and asking what we do in hostage negotiation, asking for a proof of life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, which again is fundamentally, you know, this isn't a religious podcast, but it's fundamentally at the core essence of what God is, is you shouldn't have to be looking for evidence that, you know, I had a one in, a one in 60 chance on the minute, every minute for five minutes <laughs> so i'm gonna go yeah i think you're real i'm just gonna move on from this for a while <laughs> yeah it's amazing but yeah we all negotiate every single day think about that yeah. voice think about we all have objectives goals yeah. right and there's a part of you that wants to there's a part of you that's holding you back so there's an internal negotiation happening there i know i know what you're saying and and trent trent knows that i'm a lousy negotiator because i keep you know i keep accepting business that is not is not at our rate. <laughs> not a, not ideal, or it's at a higher workload. Yeah, I'm sorry, Trent. Um, no, it's it, this this concept around proof of life is really interesting as well. I have I have to say the first time I was asked to provide my answers to proof of life questions uh, before going into hostile areas, um, I. That that struck me as as it's one of those reality check moments where you realise that you're doing something serious, and you know that at some point in time, someone's going there's going to be, potentially going to be a negotiator there who's not going to um, you know accept um, that uh, all is well and mm. look for proof of life. Um, mm. You know, it's 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 interesting that. Um, there's this uh, there's this aspect around negotiation. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the very first thing we do. But that is one of the hard skills, for example. This has nothing yeah. to do with emotional intelligence. This is something sure. that you just have to know. And that is what I also say that negotiation is not purely a soft skill. It just isn't. Because if you go all in on the emotional aspect of it and you learn all these important things that are crucial to be a good negotiator, like empathy, like listening, like building rapport, like being trustworthy, all those things is wonderful. But then if you're in a crisis situation, somebody's taken hostage, they ask for, I don't know, a million dollars, and you forget to ask for a proof of life, you go in into the whole 
wrong right. route, yeah. right? And that, yeah. is, that is one of the hard skills, but then there are loads of others that we teach that if you don't do that one, it doesn't matter how good of a listener yeah. you are. You're yeah. on the wrong path. Yeah. Lucene, do you teach negotiation now or, or, or do you just, so you actually teach people to be negotiators? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I do. Well, people and, reach out to me for three things. Either, you know, they want me to train their teams. So I come in, I provide the masterclass, I give all the tools and I leave. Or a company is having a very difficult negotiation, like high stake, be it in an M&A or an IPO or whatever, things like that. And they hire me and I guide them behind the scenes. So nobody knows I'm there. I'm not on the negotiation table, but I train the teams and we prepare everything together. They go in, they come back, we debrief together. So we decide together who's going in, who's gonna say what, and, and, and f until the end, until there is a signed contract. Yeah. And the third is, uh, my, mostly for SMEs, for whatever reason, they don't want to negotiate themselves. And then they give me the mandate and I go and negotiate on their behalf. Yeah, wow. And what about for, yeah. for hacks like the two of us who, who were trying to negotiate with businesses to 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 help you know we want to go and help them and do, would you train us how to negotiate better yeah of course okay we can set that Sold. up we can do something with you and your clients yeah you know, and whenever you train teams from the different sides together yeah. it really becomes perfect and this is yeah. people think that that doesn't make sense yeah. but the company so at the end based in france and as you know in france there's a lot of social uh, negotiations the, the the unions are extremely powerful there mm -hmm. and when they train the union heads and HR and the leadership together that's when the magic happens but the same skills yes negotiations become better smoother or uh, more fair is it more trusting is is that the reason why that the uh, there's less animosity towards you know uh, the, the other team is trick is trying to trick us is well, the is thing it? is, when you're not you're not trained in negotiation, you're trying to use uh, tricks or mm -hmm. manipulation or that kind mm -hmm. of nonsense that you don't have to use if you just know the right skills. Yeah. And right. my easiest negotiation, for example, is with my partners in France. They are professional negotiators, but it's just smooth because we know what we want, we know what we don't want. Obviously, the trust has already been established, but yeah. then you can just go straight to, okay, this is important to me, this is important to you, let's get there. Yeah. So right. I wonder then if things like enterprise bargaining agreements would be better for businesses to have someone like Lucene in there with, with their, their staff to, to then negotiate with the staff, those en uh, enterprise bargaining agreements, yeah. What I think yeah. would be amazing in companies is to have at least one, you know, we have a CEO, CFO, CEO, etc. But why don't we have a CNO, Chief yeah. Officer? Right. And right. that person can be then trained fully is part of most of the important negotiations, but then also helps train others and can be there to debrief together. And with every single negotiation, we learn and we grow and we become better. I think companies should introduce CNOs. Yeah, including including um, sort of like crucial conversations, including those sort of things between. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, wow. Lucene, where can people in the UAE especially, and, and Australians, if they want to get in touch with you, where can they find out more about you, um, your workshops, emotional intelligence, and negotiations? Well, what started out as the kind of lack of time has now become part of my brand. I don't have a website. I don't have a website. People only find me through word of mouth, 
through this kind of podcast or through LinkedIn. That's the only place I am. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Facebook, nothing. Just LinkedIn. That's where I am. And I received my 100th recommendation on LinkedIn. So that's it. Word to mouth. That's how people find me and on LinkedIn if you want to learn more. That is inspiring. Wow. That is very inspiring. And I think your mental health would be just amazing from that because I know you know, what enrages us, engages us. And it just seems to me that Instagram, Facebook, uh, even websites are full of enragement these days of people being outraged and, and yeah, so it's probably good to get away from that sort of stuff. So um, well, kudos. Choice and we're in yeah. 2021, maybe one day I'm going to have a website. <laughs> but for now, I still don't have it. My calendar is full enough, so I'm happy. Yeah, yeah that's brilliant. Yeah, amazing. I think we'd like to work with you, Lucine. Let's make it happen. Yeah, that'd be great. I think when we come to Dubai, you will be our, our first port of call, at least to know how to negotiate with the rest of the businesses in Dubai. Yeah. Very cool. Pleasure. Sure. Thank you so much for being a, a guest um, on the Warrior You podcast. And, you know, for, for us, uh, a modern sort of male or female warriors of these days, it's it's just about being good people and, and, you know, being as energetic as we can and, and understanding more about all of these sort of the nuances that make businesses happen. So you've educated us today. It was our pleasure. Thank Absolutely. you. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you for the invitation and uh, thank you for sharing your stories as well. Oh, it was thank nice you. getting to know you better. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just the physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.